Hello and uh, and welcome to the uh, next uh, instalment of the Farmside Podcasts. I- I'm delighted to be joined uh, today by uh, Hasib Hamad, who is the Managing Director, UK, Ireland and Nordics uh, for Pharmaceuticals and Country President, uh, UK for Novartis, and who is also the uh, president of ABPI, the Association of the British Pharmaceutical Industry. Um, my name is Paul Bennett. I'm the Chief Executive of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. Uh, and I am today joined by uh, two of uh, my colleagues, uh, Sarah Carhill, who is the Chief Pharmaceutical Officers uh, Fellow, who is working with us at the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, and by Professor Gino Martini, who is our Chief Scientist. Um, Hasid, thank you very much for taking the time today. I've got a few questions I'd like to run through, which I'm sure our audience will be really interested in. Um, but first, I wondered if you could provide uh, perhaps a very brief introduction um, to Novartis and, and its history, uh, maybe picking on some of the important milestones in medicines development uh, and something about the scale of the organisation that you lead. Sure. Um, so firstly, thank you for your time today. Novartis has a very rich history. When we first entered the UK, which was in the 1930s, we had a presence in Manchester and Bradford as a chemical dye company um, supplying the textiles industries up in the northwest of England. At the time, we have evolved to become a broad-based pharmaceutical company, so many of the products you'll be familiar with. Going back, some of our earliest products were products like calcium sandals, um, in the late 1920s, which really laid the foundations for modern calcium therapy we have today. We had products like Tegretol, um, carbamazepine um, in the 1960s. Um, and today we're in a number of areas from heart failure, respiratory, multiple sclerosis, ophthalmology, in oncology, both in hematology, solid tumors. And we're also bringing our cell and gene therapies to market. Um, so we have a really broad-based business and also within the portfolio, we have our Sandoz unit, which is a generics business. So we sell everything from medicines that we sell to the NHS for less than a pound for a monthly supply, right the way through to the most cutting edge kind of cell and gene therapies. Globally, we employ just over 100,000 people. We employ 1,500 people in the UK um, in a range of roles from manufacturing, um, research, development, regulatory, through to our commercial organization. Um, we're a very research-intensive organization. Um, we're the number one company in terms of sponsorship of commercial clinical trials in the UK. Haseeb, thank you. Uh, that's really given me, a, a, and I'm sure our listeners, a real sense of the, the reach of, of Novartis. I, I'd like to, to move on uh, to talk a bit um, now around the, the sort of more immediate challenge that we're all confronted with, which is the COVID-19 pandemic. I wondered if you could share with us uh, some of your thoughts about how your company's responding uh, to this challenge and and indeed how the ABPI uh, is also uh, responding to the pandemic. Yes, yeah, so if I take both sides of that in turn, so firstly on the Novartis side and indeed on the ABPI side, it's a global pandemic which is requiring a, um, a global response from the global industry. Novartis specifically, we have um, three main priorities right now. Firstly, supporting those who are at the forefront of 
the healthcare value chain by ensuring that we have continued supply of medicines and that we're also starting to evaluate existing products um, as potential clinical trial candidates as potential treatments for COVID-19. That's the first priority. Secondly, and just as importantly, supporting our associates. So we in the UK have 1,500 people who work for no artists and we're doing everything we can to make sure they are safe, um, but also they are contributing to keeping our NHS safe. So in many cases, that means um, working from home, but also supporting them in their desire to respond to efforts such as volunteering. And then our third priority is supporting our communities as Novartis. So looking more to the medium to long term, we're looking at how we can support the NHS with digital health solutions to address some of the medium to long term challenges that will be created by this pandemic. But also in the near term, looking at how can we partner with the NHS today to support them through potential well-being resilience programs. So there's online training we're developing as well to support the healthcare community. So that's on the Novartis side. On the ABPI side, um, some very similar kind of threads. So the, the priorities are really delivering medicines and health technology to fight COVID-19. So there's a big effort, both with medicines and vaccine, potential vaccine candidates that we're looking to support um, and, and research and bring to market in the UK. Secondly, prioritizing the supply of diagnostics, medicines, and technologies for patients in the UK. And the third is to more broadly just support NHS service delivery. So anything we can do to support delivery of NHS services, we're looking at right now. That, that's fascinating. And you've touched on uh, something I was going to, to ask, um, which was about how you're supporting um, staff and the teams who are having to work presumably in, in quite different ways. I would imagine there are people who very much are having to come into work uh, keep the laboratories running, keep production manufacturing running, and there'll be others within your organisation that uh, will be working remotely. I, I just wonder if you can give us a sort of sense as, as to what that split might look like and, and, and how that's working practically day in and day out for you as managing director. Sure. Yeah, so we, we, have, we have that split. So generically, I think probably the easiest way to articulate it is we have designated key workers. If we look at our manufacturing site, which is in Grimsby, in the north of the country, um, that continues to operate to a normal level of operations. So um, almost all of the workers in our Grimsby manufacturing site continue to come for work. For work, they are designated as key workers, and you know, I feel a great sense of pride and thanks and gratitude to those associates. But most of the rest of our organisation, actually, we have the ability to work remotely and um, we've actually spent a lot of time in the last couple of years working on a more flexible working model so you, you may not know this but um, our UK headquarters we moved from Frimley in Surrey we moved about 30 miles into London um, into White City just across the road from Imperial College um, as we went through that move and prepared for that move recognizing that many of our associates would be commuting more than 30 miles per day. We introduced the flexible working policy um, and really um, improved people's access to some of the technologies that we have. We improved our IT capabilities. Um, and that's really helped us with where we are today. So working remotely isn't something new um, to many Novartis associates. So we're helping them do we're helping them work remotely now. So the majority of people who aren't working in manufacturing are working remotely 
um, and they have been doing so since the 16th of March, in fact. Um, what we're doing right now is actually developing a well-being program for them, um, recognizing that we all face the same challenges. Um, as we are speaking today, there may well be associates within our business who are participating in mindfulness webinars or in online aerobics even. So, you know, people have really kind of stepped up and um, really started to put the right kind of programs in place for associates. We're definitely all working in very different ways, aren't we, at, at this moment in time? And I think you've just illustrated that uh, very clearly for us. I, I wonder also your reflections on the pharmaceutical industry in its broadest sense working differently at this moment in time. I think we all recognise and understand how competitive the pharmaceutical industry environment is. Did, did you ever think that um, pharma companies would be working in partnership uh, to coordinate such a response as I understand they are uh, in this fight against the COVID-19 pandemic? I'm not surprised by it at all. Um, you know, we have examples of this in the past with SARS um, industry collaborating very effectively, but I am immensely proud by the level of collaboration that is going on right now. It's on an unprecedented level and um, I mean, I felt very passionate for a while, way before COVID-19, as an industry, we're going to, have to be just as innovative in how we collaborate together with each other as the medicines themselves. And we're starting to do that now. Um, and I, I, I'm really, really impressed that um, this really is a proof point that the industry can collaborate and provide a, a leading role within society. Uh, and final question uh, for me, Hasib, is, is around uh, perhaps how you're your clinical staff may uh, respond to this. We, we've heard and we've certainly experienced this within RPS that uh, those who have um, clinical capability uh, seeking to go back to, to the front line, we're going to hear from Sarah a little bit later on. I know Sarah's been going back to the front line uh, and working in, in her hospital. Uh, have you had a, a call from any of your colleagues to to do that. I'm also very conscious as I ask that question that they're performing a very important role, um, keeping medicine supply uh, optimised. Yes, so we have had a strong desire from the associates who work from Novartis um, to volunteer and not just clinical staff. Um, so we have associates today who are both volunteering physically and doing non-physical and volunteering. So for all staff, um, in the month of April, we've committed 12 days of paid leave um, where they can do volunteering for any cause within the UK that supports the COVID-19 effort, be it physical or non-physical. So that's for all staff. If you want to support with the delivery of prescriptions, that's something that we will support people up to 12 days paid. Um, for clinically appropriate staff, we are going beyond. Um, so for those um, be they doctors, nurses, or indeed pharmacists, if they have clinically relevant skills um, and there's a need within their community, one that they fit. Um, we are case by case because, as you say, you know, if a person is a QP and responsible for releases of batches of medicines, that's something we have to think through. But on a case by case basis, we're looking through each one and where we can, we are um, supporting them with their desire and the need of the system. Um, for them to volunteer. Hasib, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of those insights uh, with us. I'm now going to hand over to 
Professor Gino Martini, our Chief Scientist. Gino. Thank you, Paul, and Hasib, uh, hello again, um, and thank you for making the time to speak to us. Uh, Hasib, one of the reasons we, we've set up these podcasts, I think, you know, I'm an ex-industrial pharmacist, and I think you mentioned or hinted at before about the reputation of the industry. I think it's very clear now that this dreadful disease has no cure, uh, no treatments other than supportive care. And so obviously, this is an opportunity, uh, I think, the industry to show that it can find a cure and how important the industry is uh, in medicine's development. So thank you for, for, for spending the time with us. I know you're an incredibly busy, busy man. The, my, question to, my question to you is, uh, really, as president of API, clearly there's a big hunt for a vaccine. Um, and, um, and it has been suggested it could take up to 18 months to find a vaccine for COVID-19. I mean, do you think this is the case? I mean, as, as president, have you heard of any innovations that can fast track this even quicker? Uh, is that something you can, you can shed light on for us? Yeah, so certainly vaccine timelines is a very emotive topic um, for all of us. And I certainly can't kind of purport myself to be an expert in vaccines development. Um, what I can say is the following, that clearly when you develop medicines and vaccines, um, there needs to be a rigorous focus on safety and effectiveness. So we need to ensure that we're working um, the right standards and with the regulators to make sure that no corners are cut. And as you know, having worked in industry, um, medicines and vaccines, they don't grow on trees. So we need robust clinical evidence. And that's what the industry is looking to do. I think the real call to arms within the industry is whatever the base case may be from one week to the next. So if one week someone's saying 12, 12 months and the next week they're saying 18 months, the focus still remains to say, how can we reduce that time? So whatever that base case may be, there are people who are working tirelessly every day to reduce what those timelines may be. I think you know we're hopeful that um, whenever a vaccine does come to market and we can get full manufacturing capability, I feel confident that it will be in the shortest time possible. Okay, thank you, Hasib. Uh, and so we've talked about vaccines, but um, obviously Novartis, as you said, is one is one of the most leading pharmaceutical companies in, in the world. Uh, do you have or are you aware of medicines in your portfolio or your pipeline that are being looked at to treat COVID-19? Uh, and if so, uh, what are they and what stage in development are they at? Yes, we are. Um, as we speak, we have people within our drug discovery and development organization looking through our existing medicines and various medicines libraries. Um, we have a couple of medicines right now. We have an anti-malarial product, um, which um, we will be looking to put into clinical trials. As we speak, and we are putting into clinical trials across the world right now. We have another product which is currently used in the hematology space, which is a, um, a protein kinase inhibitor. This is a product that can potentially prevent the cytokine, cytokine storm that's created as a part of COVID-19. And then we have some earlier pipeline products that are being considered as well um, as I say, we're looking at various compounds from our drug libraries right now. And then you hinted before about obviously getting things right first time, you know, in terms of vaccine development. But clearly, um, they require some kind of, I would imagine, some regulatory flexibility. And mm. there must be ongoing dialogue with the various agencies like the MHRA, EMEA, and FDA. And how, what's been the, your conversations with those agencies? Have they been willing to help? afford regulatory flexibility? Can you give us a, an idea of those kind of conversations? I think we we are having, right across the industry, we're having a lot of great examples of some very progressive discussions that we're having with regulators, particularly here in the UK with the MHRA. And you know, safety, you know, keep going back to the safety remains a paramount case. And our number one 
focus is do no harm. Um, what the kind of flexibilities that we're seeing really is around speed to action. Um, we're seeing expedited scientific advice. Um, sometimes processes which have to be done sequentially are being done in parallel, and it's all kind of really focused around reducing the time it takes to make decisions. Um, so we're seeing great kind of um, flexibility in that approach. Okay, thank you. That's that's very very interesting, and I think. We've all got a part to play uh, in, in tackling this dreadful disease. Um, and then, obviously, there's a lot of interest right now. Uh, you mentioned antimalarial before uh, and chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine for treating COVID-19. Can you share any more insights into the interest in this from the industry, um, uh, from your perspective? Yes. Yeah, so the, the product you mentioned, um, hydroxychloroquine, um, one of the benefits of looking at existing medicines is you have medicines where the safety profile is already established albeit maybe in a different indication, which means that you can go to phase three studies um, quicker. So we are looking um, globally and also here in the UK at how we can do look at doing large scale studies, both for in hospital use, um, but also for post-exposure prophylaxis. And it's too soon, I think, to say what the utility of this medicine will be until we've done those randomized clinical trials. Okay. So uh, I'll, I'll ask you one more question before I hand over to my colleague, Sir, Sir uh, Cahill. I see there's been concerns about drug supply chains, and I suppose the question for you is, uh, as managing director for, for the UK business, uh, how has Novartis been able to cope with the supply demands for its medicines? Uh, can you give us some insights into how you're controlling that and dealing with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, of Novartis, um, indeed the industry, uh, we're in pretty good shape here. Um, as a company and within the industry, as you will probably be aware, we have individuals whose entire jobs day to day is ensuring that we have continuity of supply of medicines to patients. Um, we've had a little bit of practice with um, Brexit. At, um, yeah, there's a couple of times where we had you know, the potential disruptions of our supply chain. So we've created backup plans and backup plans, some of the backup plans, if you like. Um, and we have a very good collaboration with the Department of Health and Social Care. So we participate as a company um, and as an industry in weekly meetings with the DHSC. Um, there's about 12,000 different medicines in the UK, and we have a very good process as an industry, also the company for our individual lines as well, to look at spikes in demand, irregular supply patterns. But as things stand, we're in pretty good shape. We've been, we continue to monitor for the last six weeks in this acute phase. Um, we continue as an industry to be able to supply patients here in the UK. Thank you, Hasib. Uh, I haven't asked you the most important question, of course, are you red or blue? But on that point, I'll um, I'll hand over to... to... <laughs> I do have <laughs> to say, I do have to say red. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, I'm a blue. I'll, I'll hand over to, to, to Sarah Cale. Sarah, over to you. Hi, um, Novartis recently announced a donation of um, hydroxychloroquine to treat hospitalised COVID-19 patients within Switzerland. And the aim of the donation was to enable patients to access um, a potential treatment while also advancing clinical research in the fight against COVID. Um, Switzerland is the second country in the world, I think, after the USA and the first in Europe to receive a donation of this medication. Um, is there any other European countries who are also going to get a donation or is that kind of in the pipeline? such as the UK? Yeah, so I think what I can say is there are other countries in the pipeline within Europe and um, in the UK, we are in active discussions within Novartis, but also with government to look about to look at how we can do this. So we're in discussions right now. Okay. And um, then my last question is, 
Novartis um, COVID-19 Response Fund is providing urgently needed support for health workers and communities in over 50 countries all around the world. So supporting public health in initiatives and um, designing to help communities manage the challenge posed by the pandemic. Um, for example, strengthening healthcare infrastructure and digital platforms for data collection um, and also dissemination of important public health information. Can you elaborate any more on this work and who you, who are you working with in these countries to ensure that resources are allocated appropriately? And again, are there any plans um, to donate to the UK and kind of to bring this work in the UK as well? Uh, so quite a broad question and yeah. um, <laughs> it, it gives, a, a, I guess, quite a broad response because um, as a company, so I'm going to buy my Novartis hot park on right now, um, there's a great breadth and depth to what we're doing. So we just mentioned about clinical trials with some existing medicines and potential pipeline candidates. Um, we have approved already in the UK um, a number of donations to support charities. Um, and this was prior to the Chancellor's recent announcement around support for charities, but um, support for charities in the UK who were going through some um, significant challenges. Um, I already mentioned earlier, um, big rationale or a big kind of principle rather, I should say, um, for Novartis in terms of where we will put our efforts and where we have capabilities that we really believe that we can add value. So some of the things we're looking to do in the UK are um, provide um, well-being, psychological safety training um, to the NHS. That's something we're putting together right now. We've worked previously with the NHS in this area and with Harvard University and a professor um, from Harvard University put a package um, together in that area. Um, and we're actively looking for um, primarily NGO, um, non-governmental organizations who um, are working on programs. Um, it's something we're actively looking at in the UK and particularly interested in joining coalitions of the willing. So probably the best example we have globally of that is the Bill and Melinda Gates Consortium. So the consortium has been put together of a number of companies looking at potential treatments for COVID-19. It's co-chaired by our CEO, Vasnara Simila and Bill Gates himself. Um, and we and other companies are donating um, our drug libraries, um, our you know, previous projects um, that we've worked on. And we've got experts right across the spectrum who are basically trawling through much of this data to see kind of um, what hypotheses they can develop and if there's new candidates that they can look at. So they're the kind of activities we're involved in. Um, you know, pretty much anything that anything that can help get a treatment um, or a potential vaccine for COVID-19 or support healthcare delivery in the broader sense and the priorities that I mentioned earlier, um, yeah. pretty much everything is in scope and, and we're looking at it daily. Thank you, that's um, really interesting. Yeah. Haseeb, thank you. I think that that uh, comes to the conclusion of, of quite a broad range of questions that I think we've we've posed there and, and you've uh, you've been able to cover for us and for our listeners. Um, really do appreciate you taking the time uh, at what is a very challenging moment for for everybody, um, but absolutely do recognise that as managing director for Novartis and as country president for Novartis, as well as president of ABPI, um, your time will be scarce. So we really do appreciate you taking a little time out and being able to share your insights with us uh, for this podcast. Thank you very much, Asif.